Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 through 13. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince, who has charge of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream and one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream, How long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time, and that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. I heard, but I did not understand. Then I said, O my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? He said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. But go your way till the end, and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. Now, this last chapter of Daniel starts with the words, at that time. And I also want you to notice that, or a form of that phrase, is used three to four more times in the same verse to describe the horrific events to befall Israel from the midpoint of the tribulation period on. If you remember where we left off, this is where the midpoint of the tribulation is going to be. Look again at verse, chapter 12, verse 1. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince, who has charge of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such has never been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. So, here in this verse, he says, at that time, there's going to be a time of trouble, such as never been since Israel is a nation, till that time, and at that time, your people in the book will be delivered. Now, this terrible time, this is the terrible time still to come to Israel, when, as we've been looking at, I'm going to show you some more of this, Satan will be cast down to the earth permanently, and he will empower the Antichrist to go after Israel. I want you to understand, as much as Satan has lost his position in heaven from what, what he originally had when he was created in perfection and beauty, when he was one of the lead worshipers in heaven and a guardian cherub, people have said that, oh, he was cast down to the earth. No, he was removed from his position, but the Bible clearly states that he's still allowed to be in the presence of God. He accuses the brethren day and night. But at this point, at the midpoint of the tribulation, there's going to be a war in heaven, and we're going to read about this in just a second. Go ahead and turn to Revelation chapter 12. There's going to be a war in heaven, and Michael, the great prince who's in charge of the people of Israel, is going to defeat Satan and his angels, and Michael and his angels are going to defeat him. And he's going to be cast down to the earth, not to be allowed in the presence of God or in heaven anymore. And 
buddy, it's not going to be fun on the earth when that happens. Actually, Jesus himself said in Matthew 24, which we're going to look at in just a second, if God doesn't cut those days short, no human being will survive. That's how bad it's going to be on the earth at that time. Listen to Revelation 12, verses 7 through 14. Now a war arose in heaven. Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. Keep reading. Therefore... Rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. That's the nation of Israel. The male child, of course, is Jesus. But the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. Keep this in mind. Remember, that's three and a half years, a time, times, two of them, and a half a time. Three and a half years. We've heard it over and over, 42 months, 1,260 days. It's going to be important later on as we break down Daniel 12. But again, let's see what Matthew, what Jesus says in Matthew 24 about this time. Go to Matthew chapter 9, verse 22. Matthew 24, Matthew 24, verse 9, sorry. Matthew 24, verse 9 through 22. In Matthew 24, starting in verse 9, Jesus is talking about the tribulation period, the time of the birth pains that we've looked at in past. And look at what he says in, in verse 9. He says, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation, and put you to death, talking about the Jews, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. If you remember Romans 11, all Israel that survives the tribulation period are the ones who are going to be saved. And, and verse 14, And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Let me just stop real quick and remind you something I've said in the past, but it needs to be reiterated. For years, the church has been saying, as soon as we get the gospel to the whole world, then the end will come. Well, the Bible has said all throughout history, the gospel has been preached to all creation. Colossians chapter 1, verse 23 says, this gospel, which has been preached in all creation. Romans chapter 10, in that section where it says, how can they hear unless someone preaches to them? In the following verses, it says, have they not heard? Of course they did. His word has gone out to all the earth. Throughout every generation, God's word has gone out in many different forms. And everyone at all times has had enough light to believe what 
Jesus is saying here is the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world and then the end will come. We're not going to have you turn there because we've got so much to cover tonight. But if you write this down and go look at it in Revelation 14 verses 6 and 7, you will see at the end of the tribulation period, there's going to be a mighty angel hovering in midair over the whole earth, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom to the whole world all at once. And Jesus said once that happens, then the end is going to come. That's what he's referring to here. It's not up to us. Jesus isn't waiting until we finally get the gospel to the whole world. And that's putting it on us, and he doesn't need us. Secondly, that also assumes that there have been generations that never got to hear. That's not who God is either. Go to Matthew 24, look at verse 15. So, and you're going to see, we saw this earlier in Daniel. We'll see it again tonight. We see it in chapter 12. When you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go to take what's in his house. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath. For then there will be a great tribulation such has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. So here we see Revelation 12 and Matthew 24 lining up where there's going to be at the midpoint this abomination of desolation, where the Antichrist steps into the wing of the temple, declares himself to be God. The nation of Israel is told, run for your life when that happens. When you see what Daniel prophesied, Israel, get out of Israel. Get out of the land. Run into the wilderness. Head for the mountains. If you remember, we saw in our study last time that the area of Moab and Edom was not going to be under the Antichrist's control, and that's where they're going to run. Revelation 12 said that there's going to be this war in heaven at that time. Satan and his angels, the demons, are going to be cast to the earth. Things are going to get so bad, he's going to go after Israel. And those who believe are going to run. Those who listen to Jesus are going to run at that time. Go to Zechariah chapter 13. Zechariah chapter 13, verses 8 and 9. In Zechariah 13, verses 8 and 9 talking about that time that's going to be a horrible time for the people of Israel from the midpoint of the tribulation on. It says in verse 8, In the whole land, declares the Lord, two-thirds shall be cut off and perish, and one-third shall be left alive. And I will put this third into the fire and refine them as one refined silver and test them as gold is tested. They will call upon my name and I will answer them. I will say they are my people and they will say the Lord is my God. So now we even know a little bit more. When the, Satan goes after, via the Antichrist, goes after Israel, how many are going to be killed? Two thirds. And only one third is going to be left alive and they're going to be put through a purification process. By the end, though, of that 1,260 days, three and a half years, 42 months, however you look at it, the Israel that survives will be saved. They will believe in Jesus, the Messiah. Now, here again, back in chapter 12 of Daniel, we see that God has recorded things in a book. Go back to chapter 12 again. Listen to verse 1. 
At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who is charge of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. Now we don't know specifically which book it is, but we can surmise what book it is. It's the book of the Lamb, those who believe in Jesus. Go to Revelation 13. Go to Revelation 13, look at verses 5 through 8. In Revelation chapter 13, verses 5 through 8, it says, And the beast, the Antichrist, was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming His name and His dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell on the earth will worship it, everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. Now you say, Jim, it says their names are written before the foundation of the world. Well, don't be surprised that God knew before the foundation of the world who was going to be in it and who wasn't. That doesn't take away man's responsibility. But all through Scripture, man will say, well, that's not going to happen, God. And God says, actually, it's going to. Remember how Peter says, I'm not going to let you go to the cross. And he says, get behind me, Satan. Peter says, I'll never deny you. Actually, before the rooster crows tomorrow, you're going to deny you know me three times. By the way, who was right? Jesus tells Peter again, you're going to go throw your fishing line in the water, and the first fish you catch, open its mouth. There's going to be a coin for you and a coin for me. Go pay our tax. How did he know all this stuff? He's God. He's outside of time. He says it before it happens. He already sees the end. So don't be surprised that the names were already written in the Lamb's Book of Life before the Lamb even came into human flesh. Everyone whose name was written are going to be the ones who are going to believe. I hope your name's in that book. Go to Revelation 20. Go to Revelation 20. Look at verses 11 through 15. Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire, that is, the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Here at the great white throne judgment, after the tribulation period, after the millennial kingdom, at the judgment of all the the wicked dead for all time. They're going to be thrown into the lake of fire for eternity. And they'll be judged according to everything that they had done on the earth. God kept track and it was all written down in books and they're judged according to what they had done. But on top of that, he did a double check. If their names weren't in the book of life, they were cast in the lake of fire. And all the people at this judgment are cast in the lake of fire. Folks, let me say this to you. When you trust in Jesus as your Savior and God knows that you are sincere and it's real faith, He seals you with His Spirit and your name is in that book. Oh, it already was in it before the foundation of the world because He already knew. Well, if God already knows, I don't have a choice. No, 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 you still have a choice. Don't try to figure it out. You'll hurt yourself. 
But know this, the Bible is very, very clear that God knows it all. He's in control of it all, yet he's so in control, he gives us the ability to choose, and he already knows how it's all going to play out. You're going to see an encouragement about this at the very end of our study of Daniel 12 tonight. But notice also that many people will be resurrected at that time. Now, this is the resurrection, not at the end of the tribulation period. Sorry, not at, not at the end of the millennial kingdom that we just looked at in Revelation 20. But go to back to Daniel 12 again. It says in verse 12, and uh, sorry, in verse 2, Daniel 12, verse 2. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Many people are going to be resurrected at this point, of the, the, at the end of the tribulation period, after Israel's been attacked, and two-thirds are killed, and one-third comes to faith. At the end of that time period, the 70th week of Daniel's prophecy in Daniel 9, there's going to be a resurrection. The resurrection of the righteous... The people that were Old Testament saints are going to be resurrected and get their new bodies at that time. As you're going to see in just a second, the tribulation saints who were killed during the tribulation are going to be resurrected. They'll get their new bodies at that time. Remember, those of us in the church have already received our new bodies at the rapture prior to all this. We're going to come back with Jesus with our resurrected bodies already. But at that point, all the righteous are going to be the ones, Old Testament saints, tribulation saints, are going to get their new bodies so they can enter into the millennial kingdom on the earth. Go to, well, let me just say this real quick, and then I'll show you what passages we'll deal with. When it talks about how the rest, of, how there's going to be some that are resurrected to righteousness and others to contempt, don't assume that that means that the resurrection is going to happen at the same time. I'm going to show you from Scripture that all along, the Old Testament taught that there was a resurrection of the righteous and the unrighteous. But we now know from New Testament revelation that there's an order of resurrections, kind of like what I just talked about. You're going to have the believers who are resurrected, during the Old Testament saints, tribulation saints, at the end of the tribulation period, so they can enter the millennial kingdom. We already have received our bodies and our resurrected bodies at the rapture. After the millennial kingdom... All of the, the wicked dead are going to be resurrected to go to face the judgment throne of God and then be cast into the lake of fire. Go to Job chapter 19. I'm just going to give you one Old Testament passage that showed that the Bible taught that there was life after death, physical life in a body form after death. Go to Job chapter 19 verses 23 through 27. In Job 19 starting in verse 23. Job says, Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. Oh, that with an iron pen and lead they were engraved in the rock forever. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and that at the last He will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. My heart faints within me. Listen to what Job says. This is the Old Testament. He said, I know my Redeemer lives, and one day He's going to stand on the earth. And even after my body's decayed, I'm going to see Him. And I'm going to have a body. In my flesh, I will see Him. I and not another. Go to John chapter 11. In John chapter 11, we see that 
Jesus is about to raise Lazarus from the dead to show that he has authority over physical life and death and spiritual life and death. But he has an interesting conversation with Martha in John chapter 11, starting in verse 17. In John chapter 11, verse 17, Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Well, how did Martha know about a resurrection on the last day? We read about it just now in Daniel chapter 12. I know there's going to be a resurrection on the last day. Jesus says, you still don't get it. Yes, there's going to be a resurrection on the last day, but I'm talking about something a little sooner to demonstrate something. Keep reading. Look at what he says. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ the Son of God who's coming into the world. Jesus' raising Lazarus from the dead was just a demonstration of His power and His authority over physical life and physical death, also of spiritual life and spiritual death. But when Martha says, when Jesus tells Martha, your brother will rise again, she goes, I know at the resurrection at the last time, there's going to be a resurrection. And Jesus said, actually, I'm going to show you something a little bit deeper. Folks, that's how we know. We, those of us who are in Christ have no fear of death, should have no fear of death. When my body stops working, even though I die, yet will I live. I'll go be with the Lord. I'll be instantly in His presence. That's why Paul said as he sat in prison in Philippians 1, I don't know if I'm going to live or die, but I know that what's going on to me in this imprisonment will turn out for my deliverance, whether I live or whether I die. If I live, I go on in the body and I'll get more reward for later on. But if I die, I go be with Christ, which is far better. And folks, I want to encourage you, Christians at this moment, as the world's freaking out over this disease and that disease and this sickness and all this stuff, we should be one, should be looking at everybody saying, we win either way. We win either way. If God decides I'm going to stay in the body, I get more reward later on when I do finally go see him. But if he says this is my time to go see him, that's better by far. That's better by far. So stop wearing sunscreen. I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. Go to 1 Corinthians 15. Go to 1 Corinthians 15. Look at verses 12 through 24. Here we start seeing that there's an order to resurrections and physical resurrections. In 1 Corinthians 15, verses 12 through 24, it says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? By the way, Pharisees believed in a resurrection. The Sadducees, unfortunately, said there wasn't one. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We're even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise, if it's true the dead aren't raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, 
by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father and after destroying every rule and every authority and power. Now listen closely, there's an order of resurrections. Like I told you, we're going to get ours at the rapture. Romans chapter 8 talks about that. We who are alive, we're sorry, we're going to get our new bodies at that time, the redemption of our bodies. Romans 8 talks about that. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, that we're going to be caught up and go be with the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15 talks about that as well. Let me tell you a mystery. We're not all going to sleep, but we're all going to be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. But then, after that, at the end of the tribulation period, I'm going to show you this in the scripture. Go to Revelation 20. The Old Testament saints come to life and get their new bodies at that time. And the tribulation saints get their new bodies at that time. Listen to Revelation 20, verses 1 through 6. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and he bound him for a thousand years. And he threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him, so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image, and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Look at verse 5. The rest of the dead didn't come to life until the thousand years were over. This is the first resurrection before the thousand years. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they'll be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with Him for a thousand years. What's the second death? We already read it in Revelation 20. It's when the wicked dead are raised, and they go before the great white throne judgment. They're judged according to everything they've done. Their name's not in the Lamb's book of life, and they're cast into the lake of fire. They're brought into the presence of God a second time, and removed from His presence one last time, called the second death. Folks, get excited about the fact that this is not all there is. There is a resurrection of the dead. And God has an order for some, and the Bible lays it all out. And you're going to see it as we get to the end of chapter 12 tonight. And hopefully we will. We need to keep moving. Daniel's then told to seal up the words of this book until when? Until the time of the end. Now this is interesting. He's told to seal up the words until the time of the end. John's account, in John's account, though, of Revelation, he's told not to seal up the words. Go to Revelation chapter 22. Different Revelation 22, look at verses 6 through 10. Revelation 22, starting in verse 6. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I'm coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and I saw them, I fell down at, the feet, at his feet to worship the angel who showed them to me. 
But he said to me, you must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with, who, and with those who keep the words of this book, worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Isn't this interesting? First off, the book of Revelation is said again, it must take place what's written in Revelation. It's going to happen, has to happen. On top of that, it's prophecy, not apocalyptic literature. And on top of that, John was told around 95, 96 A.D., don't seal up the words because the time is near. Daniel was told many, many years before, even before Jesus came to the earth the first time in the flesh, he was told, seal up the words. It's not for you to understand at that time. But when it is time, it'll be opened up. Has anybody ever noticed how much we have been studying Daniel, but also at the same time looking at Revelation to explain Daniel? It's because we're in the time when it's not sealed. It, a lot of this stuff is knowable right now. Actually, we in the church age are in the last age, if you will, or time period before the 70th week of Daniel's prophecy. I don't have time to take you through that, but one of the fun things I love to do when I teach prophecy is ask churches, do you think we're in the last days? And you'll be amazed at how some people say, yeah, others will go, not sure. And I always then take them to places like Hebrews chapter 1, where it says, in the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets. But in these, what? Last days, He's spoken to us through His Son. And I could take you to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 20, and I could take you to Hebrews chapter 9, I think it is, verse 6. But there's other places that talk about the fact that the last days began when Jesus came to the earth to die for the sins of man. We're in the last time period before the 70th week of Daniel. And when the time of the Gentiles is over, He's going to take us and He's going to finish that last part of the prophecy that we looked at in Daniel chapter 9. Daniel is told, seal up the words. It's not to be understood just yet because you still got a whole time period before this stuff happens. But John is now a part of the church age and he's on the Isle of Patmos and Jesus comes and let me tell you what's going to happen. And he starts describing a lot of the things written in Zechariah and Hosea and Amos and, and, and Daniel and Ezekiel and all these places. And John has put it together. Have you ever heard my study on Revelation and how I've taught on Revelation? I show you that over three quarters of the book of Revelation was already written in the Old Testament. All Jan Revelation does is compile it for us. We didn't know that the millennial kingdom was a thousand years until Revelation chapter 20. And then that shows us that that millennial kingdom, we call it the millennial kingdom now because of Revelation explaining that that time period is going to last a thousand years. And folks, I want to just encourage you with this fact. It's now knowable for the most part. For the most part, just as we have seen progressive revelation throughout the scriptures, so too will more of these prophecies become even more clear as things continue to take place. Go back to Matthew 24 and look at verse 15. Look at what Jesus says here. This has actually begun to unlock for me over the last couple of months as we've been doing our Daniel study. I've been teaching on Matthew 24 and book of Revelation for many years but Jesus says something in Matthew 24, verse 15, that I think is making more sense to me now. And Jesus says, So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, and look at what it says next. Let the reader understand. Now hang on. We understand 
that what this is referring to the Antichrist. It's very clear from all the prophecies. But I think what Jesus is saying is at that time, there's going to be people that are reading it who are seeing it, who are going to go, that makes sense. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Jesus meets with Nicodemus in chapter 3 of, of the book of John. Nicodemus comes to him at night. The Spirit of God's working on Nicodemus. Because remember, no one comes to the Father unless the, the, the Spirit draws them first. And so Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he says, he tips the Pharisee's hand. He says, we know you're a prophet come from God because nobody could do the things you do unless God were with him. Well, even though the prophets were saying he's a Beelzebub and, you know, Satan's working through him, they knew. And Jesus has a little conversation with him and says, you got to be born again. And he goes, i got to go back into my mother's womb. I don't understand that. And he goes, you're Israel's teacher. You don't understand these things. He starts getting under his skin a little bit. And then Jesus makes an interesting statement. He plants a little seed of the word in Nicodemus's heart. He says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the son of man will be lifted up and he'll draw all men to himself. And then Jesus leaves him alone. And if you do a study of Nicodemus, you'll watch the Spirit of God working on him. By the way, when Jesus left Nicodemus, did he understand? No, he didn't understand. He didn't, the whole born again thing didn't make sense. Moses in the wilderness, I don't know what you're talking about. But then later on, you'll see the Pharisees are having a meeting about Jesus and Nicodemus defends him a little bit. He goes, uh, shouldn't we give him a hearing? And they jumped on him. They said, you look, no prophet comes from Nazareth. But by the time that Nicodemus sees Jesus on the cross, I believe that word that had been planted took root. Because the Bible clearly shows that he and Joseph of Arimathea became public believers and followers of Jesus. They were willing to forsake the Passover because they were going to touch a dead body, which would make them unclean. And they couldn't be a part of the Passover. But they went and they asked for the body of Jesus and they took the dead body and they took care of it, carried it to the tomb, put it in Joseph's tomb. Folks, they were becoming quite public about their faith. But I honestly believe that Nicodemus didn't fully understand until he saw Jesus on the cross and the Son of Man was lifted up. Oh, by the way, what was lifted up in the wilderness by Moses? What was put up on the pole? The snake. What was the snake again? The snake was the punishment for their sin. The punishment for their sin was the snake was to kill them, correct? What was put up on the cross for us? The punishment for our sin. The punishment for our sin was Jesus. And just like the punishment for their sin was put up on a cross or up on a pole, our punishment for our sin was put up. Yes, ma'am. At yeah, the satisfaction. In other words, Jesus was being punished for our sin. But no, no, what I'm saying is he, he, was, the, he was punished. He received, exactly, the punishment for our sin is Jesus. And listen closely. I believe at that moment, even though the seed had been planted, when it happened, it clicked. There's a lot that's here that we understand. But remember, we're not going to be here when a lot of these things take place. We need to make sure that we take the time to tell people, share the word. And just like Jesus said, let the reader understand. There's going to be some that even though they've heard it, don't get it until it happens. But my prayer is that if there's family members of yours that are here during that time, 
and they see this man step into the temple and declare himself to be God, they decide at that moment, I am not taking any mark that that man says I have to take. Do you understand? That's, so it's been open to us, but there's still other things that won't be revealed till we get closer to it. Now, as always, God has given every generation enough light from Scripture to know and understand all that they needed in order to believe. The question is, will you read it and study it and believe? I'm going to challenge you. Don't just sit back and say, we're going to let Jim explain it to us. Because if you're honest, some of you are still sitting there going, don't know if I get it yet. That's okay. That's not a problem. I know I talk fast. I know I bomb you with more scriptures than you have time to go look up. But I want to challenge you and hopefully be used to God to at least make you hungry to go search for yourself. Actually, in Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 27, again, not time to go and read it to you. Two men are on the road to Emmaus. They're heading back. They were part of the group of believers in the upper room. They actually told Jesus, whom they didn't recognize at that time, who had just been risen from the dead that morning. They, they, he, he goes, what are you guys talking about? They go, you don't know what's happened in Jerusalem? He goes, talk, tell me about it. And they said, you know what? There was this guy, his name was Jesus. He's from Nazareth. We thought he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And some women in our group actually came back this morning after going to the tomb, and they said they found it empty. They said that there were angels saying he was alive, but we don't know. And a couple of our guys left and ran and found it empty, came back and said he was alive, but we don't know. And as they were heading back to Emmaus discouraged, Jesus says this to him. He says, listen to what he says. Starting in verse 25, he says, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary that the Christ would suffer these things and then enter his glory? Folks, I'm going to say something to you that I hope you hear in love. I want to encourage you in love. There's a lot that he's spoken about what is to come. Are you going to just be satisfied to sit and just whatever Jim tells me, I'll try and grasp? Or are you going to be desiring yourself to study it and to read it and to know it for yourself? Go to John chapter 20. Look at verses 30 and 31. John chapter 20, verses 20 and 21. Is everything that Jesus did written down here in the Bible? No, we know that from John chapter 20. Look at verses 20 and 21. Yep, chapter 20. Starting in, I'm sorry, not 20, verse 30. Chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. Thanks, Rick. I appreciate that. Chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. He said, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. In other words, Jesus did a lot of other stuff that wasn't written down. But what is written down is enough for you to believe. And I want to challenge you to be willing to study the scriptures to find out if what the, all of the scriptures have talked about, you want to start putting in your heart. Now, the next thing, though, that I have to deal with, though, is this. How, do we, how are we able to understand it? How are we able to understand it? Yes, you have to ask. You have to ask for wisdom. You have to humble yourself. Go with me to Matthew chapter 11 real quick. I'm jumping around in my notes here, but 
I feel like God wants us to deal with this right now. Go to Matthew chapter 11. Look at verses 25 through 30. In Matthew 11, verse 25, it says, At that time Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the understanding and revealed them to who? Little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. In other words, don't think for a second that you've got to be smarter than somebody else to understand this stuff. Don't think that if you haven't been to seminary, you're not going to be able to grasp this. Actually, it's God's gracious will that these truths are revealed to people who are humble themselves like children and say, I believe you'll show me. God, if there's something you want me to know, I want to know it. But you have to be willing to read it and study it for yourself. But believe that he'll show you. Doesn't the Bible say that in James chapter 1, verse 5? If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives it to everyone without reproach. Oh, but you must believe what? That he will. But the person that doubts is like a wave tossed by the wind. That person shall not think he'll receive anything from the Lord. Folks, do you understand how gracious it is that this spiritual knowledge is given to those who are humble enough to say like a child, teach me, I don't understand, I need help. It's a wonderful thing because let's be honest, there are people in this room who are smarter than other people in this room. And I'm not thinking I'm in the smart group. I got to be honest with you. You may think I'm impressive because of how much scripture I can quote, but that doesn't mean I'm smart. To be honest with you, I'm not that smart. I, there's a lot of stuff I don't understand. I've said it before. Vance Abner used to say it as well. He goes, I don't understand how electricity works, but I'm not going to sit around in the dark until I do. I just flip the switch. I don't know how it works. I don't know how half of the stuff this goes. My, my daughter works for our ministry doing social media and all this stuff and she tries to explain it. I don't understand. I don't even know how this Facebook stuff works. People are saying, are you going to be live streamed when you're in this town and you're going to be at this church? And I'm like, talk to her. I don't know. I just read this thing and tell people what it says. It's a gift of God that it's not to the smartest people. His gracious will is it's available to everybody because all of us can humble ourselves and say, Lord, I want to know more. And folks, let me tell you, Jesus said, how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Again, write this down. Look at it later on in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18, all the way into chapter 2, verse 16. 1 Corinthians 1, verses 18, all the way into chapter 2, verse 16. The scripture says that God didn't choose the wise in this world to reveal himself to. He actually chose what was considered foolish in the world so that he would get all the glory. And so, folks, I want you to hear me tonight. There's a lot more that God wants to show us. It's hard for me each week because I have more I want to tell you. We don't have time for it. And again, you're already drowning as it is. Take, go with me real quickly to John 16, though. And let me ask you if you believe this. And John 16, look at verses 12 through 15. Jesus has just been explaining in chapter 14 and 15 about the coming and dwelling Holy Spirit and the abiding relationship. About Holy Spirit, the Helper is going to come and, and dwell us. 
And in John 16, verse 12, listen to what Jesus said. He said, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Now, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he will speak, he will declare to you. Sorry, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Did you catch that? Jesus said when the Holy Spirit comes in, he's going to be when you need it at that time, revealing more and more. And he's going to tell you what's to come again. Avoid the danger of thinking you're going to have it all figured out. Avoid the danger of setting yourself up against your brother or your sister because you have a different theology than them and you think you're better than them because they don't understand it like you understand it. No, that doesn't sound like a humble child. But believe that he will show you and there's more, there's more, there's more. Now, back in Daniel chapter 12, if you go back to verses, well, let's take a look here. Go to verse 5. He says, Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream and one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream, How long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his hand, right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time, that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. Daniel says, I heard it, but I didn't understand. So this angel asked another angel, the one over the waters, hovering over the waters, most likely the same one we saw earlier that was Jesus. He asked him, when's all this going to come to an end? And he says, from the time of the shattering of the power of the holy people, that's Israel, remember, when the Antichrist goes after him, it's going to be three and a half years. Again, at this point, Daniel still doesn't understand. He's not living in the time period that we are now when it's been unsealed. But then Daniel Asks another question. He, he says, but what will be the outcome? I don't understand the timing that you just said. But what will be the outcome of these things? And Daniel's told what? Go your way. Go your way. It's not for you to understand at this time. And I want to point out something to you as well. Remember, this vision and Daniel's prophecy of 490 years are for his people, the people of Israel, and the accomplishing of the six things Gabriel had told him would be accomplished in that time period. Go back to Daniel 9 again. Look at verse 20 and then again verse 24. Remember, all of this vision, it started in chapter 10, is tied to what Daniel was told here and again in chapter 12. I'll show you again. He says in verse 20, While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of who? My people Israel and making my plea before Lord my God for the holy hill. That's the temple area of my God. Look at verse 24. He's told by Gabriel, 70 weeks or 77 year periods are decreed about your people and your holy city. And then to accomplish those six things that we've already looked at. Go back to Daniel 12. Look at verse 1 and verse 7. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince, who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, who again? Your people, the Israelites, shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. Jump to verse 7. All right. 
I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times and half a time. And that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. This vision, this prophecy was talked about in Daniel 9. It began in chapter 10 into 11 and 12 and is dealing with who? Israel and the people of Israel in the city of Jerusalem. Again, we're not going to be here at that time, but that's who, who this is for. Now, who will understand? We saw the angel say, the wise will understand, but the wicked won't. I kind of want to be in that group of people that understand, don't you? Oh, by the way, how do you understand? You ask, and you humble yourself, and you believe that he'll show you. Don't think you're smarter than anybody. Don't think that you have to figure it out. Don't think you've got to go to school. Humble yourself and say, Lord, you give the spirit willingly to anyone. Now, Daniel's then told that from the desecration of the temple, there'll be an extra 30 days after the Antichrist's death. And blessed is the one who waits and arrives at the 75th day after the end of the Antichrist reign. You say, wait, 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 where are you getting this? Look, look now at verse 11. He just said that uh, the wise are going to understand, the wicked won't. In verse 11, and from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Wait a minute. All along we've been seeing times, time and half a time and 42 months and 1,200 and what? 60 days for three and a half years. But now he's told that from the time that the Antichrist sets up his abomination of desolation, there's actually going to be an extra 30 days. And prophecy people have wrestled with this. What are the extra 30 days? And then if you keep reading, he goes on and says, Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. In other words, he adds now another 75 days. What's the difference? Why all of a sudden is it 1,290, 30 more days? And why is it 1,335 or 75 more days from the time the Antichrist steps into the temple at the midpoint? You ready for your answer? We don't know. But I believe from Scripture we can maybe speculate and probably be right. We don't know for sure. But I think we can possibly surmise from Scripture that the 30 extra days are possibly to cleanse the temple. Go with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 30. Remember, the Antichrist is going to step into the temple, declare himself to be God. There's a possibility, 2 Chronicles chapter 30, verses 1 through 5, there's a possibility that there's going to be a 30-day period of cleansing the temple. Go to 2 Chronicles 30, look at verse 1. Hezekiah sent to all Israel and Judah... And he wrote letters also to Ephraim and Manasseh that they should come to the house of the Lord at Jerusalem to keep the Passover to the Lord, the God of Israel. For the king and his princes and all the assembly in Jerusalem had taken counsel to keep the Passover. Listen to when they're taking it. In the second month. For they could not keep it at that time because the priests had not consecrated themselves a sufficient number, nor had the people assembled in Jerusalem. And the plan seemed right to the king and all the assembly, so they decreed to make a proclamation throughout all Israel, from Beersheba to Dan, that the people should come and keep the Passover to the Lord, the God of Israel, at Jerusalem, for they had not kept it as often as prescribed. So here we see the Passover is usually taken in the first month. 
Remember when Moses was told in Exodus chapter 12, this is going to be a brand new time for you. Start over, 14th day of the month, you're to, uh, sorry, 10th day of the month, to welcome the lamb into your house, 14th you kill it. The Passover was in the first month. But they hadn't done it. And so they decide so that there's a period of cleansing, if you will, because the priests hadn't prepared themselves as well. They would do it in the second month. There's a hint there that there's a 30-day period of cleansing. I think there's a possibility that why it says 1,290 days is that after the Antichrist is killed, there's going to be a 30-day period of cleansing of the temple. Now, but what about the extra 75 days? It said, blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. Well, possibly... The extra 75 days will be for the separation of the sheep and the goats. The rewarding of all the saints will, will set up their responsibilities and their jobs in the millennial kingdom. Remember, there's a lot that's going to be going on to set up the millennial kingdom. And blessed is he who arrives at that time period. Not only will there be 30 days possibly to cleanse the temple, there's probably going to be 75 days needed to do all the other stuff. Again, write some of these down. I'm going to read some of them to you quickly. In Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46, we see the story of the separating of the sheep and the goats, where Jesus comes back to the earth, sets on his glorious throne, and he separates the surviving Gentile nations according to those who treated Israel well. They enter the kingdom. The others are cast into outer darkness. Again, there's time period necessary. Remember, Jesus comes back, defeats his enemies. Now he sits on a throne, and he starts separating humans, Gentiles, of who gets into the kingdom and who doesn't. It's going to take a few days. That's Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46. Go to Matthew 16. Look at verses 24 through 27. In Matthew 16, starting in verse 24, Jesus then told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of the Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he's done. Again, we see that when Jesus comes back is when he starts to separate who's in, who's out, and who gets what. Luke 14 talks about that. Verses 12 through 14. Go to Matthew 19. That's Luke 14, 12 through 14. Matthew 19, verse 28. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Again, Luke 19, 11 through 19. Go there real quick. Luke 19, 11 through 19. He says he's heard these things. He proceeded to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem and they supposed the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas and said to them, engage in business until I come. 
But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We don't want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, and that he might know what they had gained by doing business. First came before him, saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good faithful servant. Because you have been faithful in very little, little, you shall have authority over ten cities. Second came, saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, You are over to be over five cities. So here again, when Jesus comes, he's going to reckon with the righteous ones. The wicked are going to be cast into outer darkness to when the time comes for their resurrection and their judgment and going to hell. But the righteous on the earth are going to be separated like we just talked about. And the righteous then are going to be judged and responsibilities are going to be given to them. Remember Revelation 20, how the tribulation saints who didn't receive the mark of the beast were brought back to life and they were allowed to reign with him on the earth. It's probably going to take a few days to set up who's where and doing what. Blessed is the one, though, who makes it to the end of that time period because that means you're in the kingdom. That means you're in the kingdom. And I love that. Go back to Daniel 12 and look at the end of it. We're going to make it. Didn't think we were going to, but we're going to make it. Go to, one of the things I like about teaching the Bible study and not being the last night is wherever we finish, I can pick up next week. Couldn't do that tonight. So I apologize if I was going too fast for some of you. Go to Revelation 12. Look at what happens here now in verse 13. So say Revelation, thank you, Daniel. Daniel 12, verse 13. But go your way till the end, and you shall rest, and you shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. Here another hint at the fact that he's got an assignment that's going to be coming. But look at what Daniel's told. Daniel is told, even though he doesn't understand when or how this is all going to play out, he's told by the angel, you're going to be in it. You're going to be there. How many people die nowadays hoping they're going to heaven? It's one of the saddest things for Christians to hear Christians saying, Oh, I tried to serve Jesus my whole life. I hope I'm going. Folks, that's not what the Bible says. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, John says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. If Jesus has guaranteed your inheritance, is he going to break his guarantee? Then I pray Satan is not allowed to mess with your head anymore if you're in Christ and he sealed you with his spirit. You have a place. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 1, in my father's house, there's many rooms. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me where I am. We're guaranteed to go be with Jesus when we die. And when he comes, we're going to come with him and we're going to rule and reign with him. He's made you that promise. Ephesians chapter 1. Let's close with Ephesians 1 verses 13 and 14. Ephesians 1 verses 13 and 14. I just hinted at it, but I'm going to read it to you. In him, in Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. I'm going to ask you as we close tonight for a show of hands. How many of you in this room can honestly stay, say, state here before God, 
I know because of Jesus, not anything because of me, but because of Jesus, I am going to be in the kingdom. Praise the Lord. If you couldn't raise your hand there and you're watching, my prayer is that the Spirit of God will convict you and get you to that place where you can say, because of Jesus, I'll be in the kingdom. I love you all. We'll see you in three, three plus weeks, first week of November when we start Romans. Can't wait to get there.